All you have to do is look at the Baconator. I'm your host, David Kalsgaard. With me, as always, is... Hi, I'm Jeremy Plum, guys. And this week, uh, Jeremy, not Jeremy and I, just Jeremy, talked to uh, stand-up comedian Ricky Glore. Yep, we talk about his dry bar special, Dad Pod. We talk about clean comedy and misconceptions with it. And we talk about horror movies. And it's just a really fun time. You you can uh, listen to his album, his new album, uh, down below in the description. And uh, if people wanted to find you, where could they find you, Jeremy? You could find me at Plum Jeremy on Instagram and Twitter. And you could find the podcast at Running the Light uh, on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, um, and MySpace. Just look for the big red light. Wonderful. Um, also, become a patron if you'd like. We get extra, you know, get uh, episodes of early. You get extra content, and tiers are as low as three dollars. Sounds good to me. Yeah. David, where can we find you? Uh, if you want to find more from me, uh, who is not going to be in this episode, you can find me at David underscore Kalsgaard on Twitter and Instagram or at davidkalsgaard.com. That's K-O-U-S-G-A-A-R-D. Also, I have some events coming up. Oh, I'm shit. Going out and doing doing some, doing some work. Uh, hmm. Most importantly, the one that I want to talk about is uh monday november 9th i am going to be going out to las vegas nevada to compete in the world series of comedy main event at the la comedy club inside the strat hotel and casino uh if anybody is wanting to actually watch that but you don't live in nevada i've got good news for you you can they are streaming the event and you can buy tickets to watch the live streams uh, on their web on the website uh, wsoctickets.com once again that's wsoctickets.com and you can get the instructions on how to buy a ticket to watch the live stream and when you buy your ticket to watch the live stream they'll give you information on how to vote for your favorite comedian that you see during that show and what comedian should they vote for david I mean, really just vote for who your favorite is, but hopefully if you're listening to this podcast, it's me. <laughs> I'd vote for you. I uh, thank you, Jeremy. I'm not going to. Will, I will definitely actually watch it. It's been a while since I've seen a festival. I'm not even going to joke. I will actually it, go watch it. it. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, if I finish high enough on my first show, I get to move on to later in the week. And that's when my Instagram and Twitter will become in handy to figure out when those shows are. Perfect. Just follow them there and you get all the information. Uh, and follow our uh, Instagram and Twitter as well because we will also be sharing information about your festival. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. I'm not the literally one both of it, us. So I, well, I'm not the one who runs it. So you're, <laughs> that, that's me thanking you for doing the work on this one, bud. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just expected in return. Guys, um, Thank you all for listening. It's a really fun episode. Uh, Ricky's a really smart comic, and I had a lot of fun talking to him. And I hope you guys enjoy it, too. Um, and with that, stay safe. We love you. Shaka bra. Stay up, Ski Slopes. So that's where the problem is. Like, I I, I love the knowledge part of this uh, podcast. That's, that's why I made this thing. That's why I love it. 
I am also like, I remember two episodes ago, I interviewed my friend Kevin and we just started to talk about Garfield and like <laughs> comic, like how Sunday comic strip characters would have sex for like 20 minutes. <laughs> and I went, that's quality content. What am I going to do? Turn out, turn that off? No. We just created content that everyone's going to love and listen to. That's how you so, said no characters. No, <laughs> no. Um, David, who unfortunately get making today. David is the adult. David is the sure. responsible person. Last time we had not David, I talked about Cheers, which is the theme of the episode. We talked about every other sitcom <laughs> that we loved. Well, I mean, for... when you're talking about like James L. Brooks in general, yeah. like you can talk about every other sitcom because he probably had a hand in it, oh, and he really cut his teeth in the early to mid seventies. And then cheers was kind of a culmination of a lot of stuff he had been doing in film and television. And That's then, yeah. Yeah. And everything that came after that of like Frasier or even friends, which he directed the first episode, like sitcoms. I feel like the multi-camera sitcom is all taken from the tutelage of James L. Brooks. It is. And, and then also early Simpsons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Birth, was birthed and made not just slappy, but also really serious and grounded because of Brooks. The three um, story, the A story, the B story, the C story. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so it, it's easy to get distracted, especially when you're talking about comedy, because everything's like a gumbo pot. Like, it's just everything that you see that, that turns your brain on gets thrown into your set in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, that inspires you, and that's what I like about comedy. Um, and that's why I host this podcast, Running the Light. Hey guys, welcome. Uh, <laughs> my name, I'm Jeremy, your host. David can't be with us today, and today I'm really excited. Um, uh, we have Ricky Glore. Hey, if you're looking at Apple Podcasts right now, if if that's how you got this, and you see my name and other podcasts that are associated that I've been on, you will see an influx of me shilling and whoring myself since (laughs) June because that's when my album dropped, and I will do anything and everything to tell you where and how you can get it. And I I love comedy. Like, that's the thing, too. uh, What album, by the way, Ricky? Spitting Image. You can buy it on iTunes, Amazon, Stream it on Spotify if you already have that. Uh, oddly enough, I got one of my first checks for the album, and Spotify, like streaming, pays way more than I would have ever anticipated. I've been told that they're doing really well. I yeah. I had for the longest time Google Play Music, so I am I'm now having to rediscover. Every you said streaming. that like Zune, like when like those old like iPod, like the iPod knock knockoffs. You're like Google <laughs> Play Music. So it's being shut down like this month. And oh. it's like, I feel like I, this is Zoom to me. Like, it's like, hey, just watch our music on YouTube. And I go, but I don't want to. I had this thing. I liked it. And now I have to discover Spotify. I hate change, even when it comes to technology. It it, it pretty much, I'm an old curmudgeon half the time. Like, I just, I have an old iPod. I still have my oh, iPod. Yeah. I love it. I had uh, I had a brick when I first moved to Chicago and was uh, I wasn't accustomed because I grew up in Kentucky to doing mm-hmm. public transit much. Like even when I went to Cincinnati, like the thing is with uh, the tri-state area of Cincinnati of uh, Kentucky, Ohio and Indiana, which Illinois is real right there, too. So it's almost like a quad state. Yeah, um, you, everything's 30 minutes away. 
So you drove. Like everyone right. in a car. Same um, in Nebraska, yeah. Yeah, moving to Chicago, I, I didn't bring my car. And I really got accustomed to public transportation. And like when you first move up there, public transportation is amazing. And you're like, oh my gosh, riding public transportation for like one day, you can write and come up with a whole bunch of stuff just based on the observations. Now, when you live there for seven years, you then become the transient of like headphones in, head down, like napping in between your like your 20 minute rides, your half an hour rides. So, like, I got a brick iPod, like the old white ones. Yeah. And it held, like, what I thought was huge. I think it was, like, four gigabytes or something. And then I upgraded to a, I think it's a mini or a nano, which is, like, a 20 gig. And, yeah, I I still use that. I'm just starting to get some stuff on my phone. It's it's so weird. Like I actually bought it during quarantine. I go, I want an iPod, and I went, I'm just gonna get it now. And I just, it's been my little buddy through <laughs> thick and thin. I like I walk everywhere because that's just how I enjoy things. And I just throw my iPod on, play My Chemical Romance, and that's my day. Um, that's a good quarantine day. It's a good quarantine day. Um, I would probably you- listen to something a little bit more upbeat because I believe your <laughs> mood is dictated a lot by what you listen to. But that's just me. And it, here's the thing. Apparently, Black Parade gets me in a good mood. <laughs> it gets me down for Mama, but then back up. And I was like, all right. What if you... Um, no, I was, I was getting ready to ask you questions as if this was my podcast. Uh, I've never been asked a question. I'm actually... Except for one when we interviewed our super fan. Like, he, he is a 17-year-old kid who writes in his notebook. Uh, that's awesome. Like, it's great. I'm impressed, but I also don't have the heart to tell him that I'm 26 and I'm an idiot. Like you just, <laughs> yeah. Well, like, I'm I'm 35 and I'm an idiot, and I have a child, so I have someone who's responsible for me. Oh. I'm like facing myself in the mirror every day, and like, yeah, like you know anything? Like you could impart <laughs> any wisdom? Like, oh, let me give you some useless knowledge about horror movies and comedy. Yeah, that's all I know. Like, if you want to talk to me about Godzilla or jokes, that's all I got. So what I was going to say is during quarantine have, you know, like we're no longer going to have the excuse once um, I, I refrain from saying back to normal because there's going to be yeah. a, a new normal and it's going to be a slow transition to whatever that is, whatever that looks like. Mm-hmm. But we can't have the excuse of, Oh man, if I only had the time, I would write that great American novel. I've always talked about <laughs> because we're not doing it. We're, we've become lazier. Right. We've become worse. Uh, but, have you found yourself, I don't know how many comedy specials you watch or listen to pre-quarantine, but have you found yourself exploring more like like areas of comedy that you might not have before? So, well, so because of the podcast, I watch a special every week nice. or whatnot. So it's, it's, it's different. It's, it's, I can't, I, I don't watch, I watch more now pre-quarantine uh, and I maintain it post-quarantine, during quarantine. But I found myself reading more. Like oh, I had a good. bunch of comedy books, like Impro for Storytellers. Yes. Um, the oh god, I'm trying to think. It's Andy Kurtzman, the oh, Mad yeah. Um, and it's a 600 page biography. And I am slowly pecking away at that. Or Judd Apatow's Sick in the Head. I what, found myself. What special reading. did you watch this week? So you said you watch one every week. Uh, actually, this week was yours. <laughs> oh, on Dadbot on uh, Dadbot. 
Which that's my first time actually downloading uh, Drive uh, Drive Bar because I uh, I've said this I, repeatedly, but isn't it so weird? That, like, when I tell people, like, it's this free app and it has, like, a thousand comedy specials of people you've heard, too. Like, I'm not someone anyone's heard of. Like, if you've heard of me, then you listen to Bob Very and Bob. Yeah, it's yeah. like, yeah, there's you're a little bit nerdier and you heard it via something else. But there are people you have heard of on that app. And when I say it's a free app, they're like, yeah, but what's the catch? I'm like, there's no catch. There's no ads. It runs pretty darn well. You don't have to pay it anything. Does. There's... Yeah, like it's it's done really well. And so I don't know how they make money, but it is also hard for me to pitch people the app because there's like this knee jerk of like, well, nothing as good as you're making it sounds comes at no price. So what I know is um, um, for me, I... I uh, I also like downloaded a bunch of older apps that had like old Carlin specials and old comedy specials. I think it was Tubi. Oh yeah, um, Tubi. Tubi's great. It, it has commercials right. on it, but yeah, it it does. But like, if you sometimes Netflix, like I don't, I like algorithms. I, I understand algorithms, I guess. But like, I also believe that sometimes you need to go out and discover stuff that you wouldn't think uh, about it, and like you wouldn't, it wouldn't be recommended to you. And so more more apps, the better in that case. Interesting. Uh, so you just said about like having a love for algorithms. Algorithms is all about just giving you what you've already tasted in some way like, or another. I like the numbers. I like the, how does that work? Oh shit, that's cool. Oh, you like the science of it. You don't necessarily like the 1984 of we will all be consumers no. and get echo chamber of what we want. Oh no, no, that's a, that's a, that's a waking fear. No, that's a, that's a waking everyday fear. <laughs> Um, but I heard it actually in comedy. (laughs) Oh, I'm, I can't wait for a more Kafka esque. Um, (laughs) that's what I want. Oh God. Yeah. Um, uh, I downloaded it uh, this week and I, everything is just really smooth. And what people maybe don't know about dry bar, um, first it's it is a it is a comedy nerd thing i always say it's it's not as ubiquitous as netflix but if you like comedy i say recommend it it's from what i've been told it's mostly for and i heard about it through through brandon young and through you it's mostly clean it is it, they've gotten a little looser but so they're there if anyone's like well how do you get on dry bar or what is it like yes they film it in uh mormon country it's in utah provo utah it is mm-hmm. the I got treated like a king. It was amazing. The production is amazing. There's like five cameras. Um, make pre-show makeup. You do two sh- Like it is top level comedy special producing. Now, granted, I don't have anything to compare that to, but I can only imagine <laughs> that if you think like that a Netflix produced special or Comedy Central, this is done just as well. But it is clean. There's no alcohol at the menu. There's candy. And right. what makes it weird and hard is they give you an instructional video of like some suggestions, like vague suggestions of like, you know, this is, we maybe steer away from these sort of things to have the best kind of set that you can have. But what they don't do is they don't tell you exactly what you can and cannot say. And Mm -hmm. so like, I wanted to send in my set and have them be like, okay, like, no, don't do this. Don't do that. Because I wanted to ensure that I did it the best that I could. And I had also heard about them not releasing some comedian specials. 
So uh, a a prince type of mentality. Got it. Yes, but like, well, no, no, not like save it in the vault for like a rainy day, or like have all these music videos. No, it was like the one story in particular I heard um, a horror story was they didn't release a certain comedian special, which I don't even know the name of the comedian, so I'm not even not right. saying the name on purpose, um, because they closed with a sexual innuendo joke. Mm. And so they couldn't edit around it. Mm, and yeah, so okay. because that was the closer. Uh, like mine, when I got my first proof of edit, which I was just like, yeah, this looks great. Thank you. Like you didn't need to send it to me. But I did notice they did cut a, a couple things out. And the one thing that I was like, I wonder, was a, um, it's on my album, is a story about going as a family to the Burt Reynolds Museum and Ranch um, mm-hmm. as a kid. And on the third time, the third time we went, the ranch had gone bankrupt. Burt Reynolds had closed it down. So my dad stole a gold plaque face of Burt Reynolds that was on the gate. Hell on yeah. The door, <laughs> the end of the ranch. Um, and there's, it's this like, two minute, three minute bit and they cut it and it went pretty well. And I was kind of surprised because I'm like, Oh, as a comedian, we're always striving to be very unique and Mm -hmm. to have jokes or stories or premises that are like, Oh, well that's a Ricky Glore bit because no one else is talking about going to Burt Reynolds museum ranch. And so I was surprised they cut it because it also did well in the two shows. And then I told my brother that, and he's like, Oh, it's probably because it's about stealing. And then I told my mom and she's like, yeah, it's probably because it's about stealing. I was like, all right, maybe that's it. Maybe that was the reason. (laughs) It's sometimes like I, okay. So for newer comics, I've had some people, we're going to talk about the, maybe the gripe or the, the thought of you. And look, Jeremy, you can be a hundred percent candid with me because I am a student of it. I don't sit on a pedestal of what, like I do impressions and like, I, on my album and I played ukulele. Like I yeah. like to think of myself as a Renaissance kind of like uh, a a performer. Yeah. I'm an entertainer. And I, and I actually, and that's what I really liked about your special. Also, I don't have a great about clean, but I, I'm thinking for the new comic. I like, but the reason why I bring it up is we have a show called clash of the comics. It's a show where you go to funny bone and you try out to be an MC mm-hmm. and they strive, or we had a TV show called Omaha and they said TV clean. Um, which meant like no F word and you can do sex jokes, but you can't describe anything. Right. Um, you can call someone, a, you can call someone a pussy, but you can't describe the body part. Oh no. They said you can make a sexual, but you can't describe what sex is. And I go, that's twenty. Hmm. I kind of want a joke to describe sex now. Like, <laughs> like, like I don't, I don't do that, but that sounds funny. But the but reason no, I mentioned the pussy one was I was just re-listening to Gaffigan's because we we're talking about I was mentioning quarantine, like who you got into. I wasn't big into Gaffigan, like I liked him, I just wasn't as versed. Right. And then I re- because of his Twitter tirade, I'm like, I'm gonna go back and listen to this and see if there's some uh, there's some tidbits that have been strewn throughout that his camp that are now upset with him just weren't really picking up on, and there right. are. Like, oh, yeah. him being described as a, a clean comedian, I always thought is funny because I re-listened to Beyond the Pale. And there is some mm-hmm. language that doesn't bother me, doesn't offend me. But, like, I'm surprised it kind of flew under the radar. And one of which is when he talks about, uh, he's like, I can't imagine if, I, if I'd have told my dad I was a vegan when I was a kid. He'd been like, ah, shut up, pussy, and eat that meat. Like, 
And he says that, and I'm like, oh, interesting that no one has an issue with that because there is some there is some agreement from his camp of an audience being like, yeah, you are a pussy if you aren't if you don't eat meat and you are a vegetarian. But like, there's there is no knee jerk to be like, oh, he's getting to do his voice, be like, oh, he's getting a little raunchy up there. Can I ask you a question about clean comedy? Because I actually yeah. believe that both sides are valid. I one my my pet peeve. This is a sidebar before the question. One pet peeve I hate that people do is you'll have some people go, you know, I think a joke is better if you don't say anything dirty. And I go, it's just who you are. It's just, yeah. it's, it's just what makes you laugh. Are I you like being true to your voice. Like for exactly. me, I am not someone who, like, yeah, I will curse. I will, like, that we all know as comedians too. There's stuff that is funny to you and other comedians that could be super dark. That if anyone in the general population or even your oh. audience heard you talk about, they would be like, how do you think that's funny? And it's like, I'm not performing it. But like comedians, if you can take the leash off of your mind and go to places and understand, even if it's a dark subject matter, that there is humor in it mm-hmm. that frees you to really explore like why your voice is funny and to explore it to its max and stretch Exactly. It. And so the question about clean, I think, for newer comics, actually more about that beyond the pale question, mm-hmm. is do you think sometimes the, because I've been called a dark comic when I just talk about mental health, um, do you think that maybe sometimes the perception of if something is naughty or dirty, naughty, naughty felt weird. I didn't like, I don't like that. I don't, I don't like that <laughs> I said it. I just see Chris Farley when he like bites his finger and he's like, you're being yeah. naughty. Um, do you think it's how it's performed? Because I know a lot of family members that go, I love only clean comedy. So I like John Mulaney and John Mulaney. John Mulaney's not clean. Right. But he presents himself in such a way. Sure. It's the same. Yeah. He, yeah, yeah. It is all presentational and like the Mulaney that he is now when, and he is he has freed himself because, like I said, he's explored. You know, people go to see John Mulaney because he's John Mulaney now. But right. if you listen to like the top part, well, it's funny. I, I've said this before, but like, I never got that much into Gaff again. I never got much into like Brian Regan. Um, yeah, that's quarantine. That's what I got into too. <laughs> I don't necessarily listen to the comedians that I might be thrown in this like. Like, oh, how would you describe Ricky Glore as a comedian? Well, he's a clean comedian, kind of like a Brian Regan, or he's high energy, or like a Jim Gaffigan. But, like, that doesn't necessarily mean that that's my favorite kind of comedy, or that I'm not being exactly. true to myself. Like, I love Mulaney, and I, for a while, had a hard time getting past his voice and his cadence. But mm-hmm. I, would, I would love his material. And I, I do like a cerebral comedian. But yes, the top part, which I've heard television uh booking producers be like when you audition not to wear a hoodie not to wear jeans like what would you wear if you were on national television and i'm like well wear what that fits you in your voice but Mulaney isn't wearing that 20 something year old outfit anymore he's suited it up like against like i'm part of the establishment because i'm wearing a suit but i'm against the establishment because of how i'm dissecting it yeah Um, yeah, and so he's he comes out and he he does the um, I think he talked about with Berbiglia, like 
he always hated when comedians would be like, I know what you're thinking. I look like blank, blank to blank. And he's like, but he's like, I learned with touring with Mike. You sometimes have to do that just to connect with the audience at the beginning to then open the door to exactly to have the access to then talk about the things you have opinions or POV of. You have to at least mm-hmm. get them to want to listen to you. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I, I think bringing that in, once people kind of see your side, then people, people then come in with their own, I would say, idea of who you are. Because mm-hmm. I think no matter what, someone's going to think Carlin is dirty. And honestly, Class Clown isn't that dirty, mm-hmm. even by even by 60 standards. But it's Carlin and there's a fucking lawsuit based off of it. Mm-hmm. So clearly it's dirty. And so it feels bigger. It feels wilder than it is. And same with Mulaney. It seems cleaner than what it is. But he talks about kidnapping. But but, Uh, I think a a good representation of that is also with music. I mean, with anything uh, is in media. But, like, look at the band Kiss. Now, the aura that they wanted to breed was that they are this naughty, dangerous, possibly satanic, otherworldly superstar rock musicians. Horrible, isn't it? Sex and drugs. But then, like, I can't imagine listening to it then, or I mean, in hindsight, listening to it now, it's not that far from disco. Like it, it, it really isn't. It Even might. their best album, like uh, Destroyer, it's disco. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. disco less synthesized. It's catchy because they knew what they they are amazing at marketing. And so they knew that there was a subsect of, I mean, they were doing what they wanted to do. I don't believe that they weren't, regardless right. of what you think of Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley now, or Ace Freely and all them, how they've marketed themselves to make money. No one no one thinks about Ace Freely. Just don't. <laughs> That's not as you, as you, I didn't say Vinny Vincent or Peter Chris. So. Oh, fuck, I haven't heard those. I used to be a big Kiss friend. Oh. I haven't thought about those names in like 12 years. Vinny Vincent, man, like I love me some. I talk about horror movies. I love me some Elm Street, and he yeah. does the song "Love Kills" for Nightmare on Elm Street Four soundtrack. It only God, he does. for like ten seconds, but it's probably better than like Nightmare on uh, Friday the Thirteenth Part oh, Five. Jason lives with Alice Cooper. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, he God. some good horror soundtrack. Freddy's dead. The final yeah. nightmare where there's multiple tracks by the Goo Goo Dolls, like early 90s punk-ish Goo Goo Dolls. Oh, you mean Scream Zero? Yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, it is. Oh, God. Um, yeah, pretty much. Um, I, I love instrument. Yeah. So with Kiss and like likening that to comedy, they there was a faction in music that was, well, if you're not disco, like this is cool. And so they went, yeah. okay. We can still do catchy music, but we're going to speak to this uh, subgroup of high school kids that don't feel glitzy and glamorous and want to like rock out and act like they're harder. So we're going to sell them basically a lot of the same music, altered a little bit, but with a perception, a persona that is different. Almost kind of like when the Beatles transitioned in the late 60s from, you know, matching suits bowler cut haircuts to more psychedelic with Sergeant Peppers. So the younger sisters and brothers of the kids who are getting older, growing with the Beatles then could turn to the monkeys 
because that was then the alternative to be more like the pop sensation that the Beatles were five years earlier. Exactly. And I think that's the best way to describe it. Like, I think sometimes like dirty and clean is, is, is based off the comedian. Of course, I, uh, I, I, the question about if it's a conscious effort, effort can be come up, but I think it's, I, I think also it's sometimes your audience and how you present yourself. Like I have a black t-shirt and jeans and I'm kind of grungy looking. Yeah. I mean, anything I say might look not as TV, not as family friendly as if I had a suit and tie and actually combed my hair. Yeah. And it's like how in the mid nineties, you know, Mitch Hedberg was more of an easier sell on television because yes, he was being himself, but he ushered in, not that he's the first like one liner comedian, but he ushered in what is now known as the lack of patience that we have or attention span for comedy. Like I don't want to listen to a whole Mitch Hedberg album for an hour of one liners. Like that's just me. I like listening to them in chunks here and there or like it is perfect for Pandora comedy. Yeah. Like a Dimitri Martin. I'm the same way. Like he's perfect for YouTube right now mm-hmm. or for the, what you know, was the shorter attention span was a late night set. Yeah. You know, in that just like five minutes. But like Mitch Hedberg was packaged to be like, well, don't worry. He's not threatening. He's just your stoned uncle. Or like, he's just that friendly stone guy on the street. Who's like, not, not threatening. So like, you don't have mm-hmm. to worry about him where there were some other comedians, some edgier comedians in the nineties. Like, I mean, even like Dennis Leary, he cleaned it up once he started biting the apple of popularity. Right. Yeah. And I, I think some newer comics, like some comics maybe scoff at the idea. It's like, I'm not going to be clean if somebody asks me. I'm going to be me. And it's like, yes, be you. But like, if a venue Who are for you me performing says, for? Like, if you're offered a gig and they're like, yeah, you just can't use language. If right. your set is predicated, if your jokes are pre- So this goes back to what you were saying later of like, uh, it's just funnier without cursing. Um, right. But if your jokes are predicated on language and taboo and you're like, well, I'm being edgy and I'm just being myself. Sure. That might be the kind of comedian you are, but then don't be disparaged when you maybe aren't offered as many gigs. Exactly. Because you're just not mature enough in your, like I'm the same way. I became a house MC at the funny bone in Newport, uh, Kentucky when Mm -hmm. I was at college and I was dirty, but I also thought that that's who I I didn't have the life experiences or I didn't have the maturity to reflect on the life experiences to make them funny. I wrote jokes, fabricated premises, um, because that's who I was at that time. And an MC is a hard slot where if you're allowed to be body, you do kind of get the ears perked up of the audience and on your side. But like, mm-hmm. that's not who I am now. Exactly. So that's not the kind of comedy I'm presenting. It's not, it's not like a one or the other thing. It's a, I mean, oh, actually, sorry. what I was going to say is like, it, it, you're offered a gig and they say, well, you can't curse. And they're like, well, then I'm not doing the gig. It's like, okay. And I've mentioned this on every podcast and interview I've done. Who are you performing for? Are you exactly. performing to show the audience how funny you are? Or are you performing to entertain? Because cool. Yeah. Don't ca- take the gig and have fun doing your, shows in a bar where no one listens. I like that wording. 
I love that wording. And in fact, you probably mentioned on every podcast, but I want to hear that wording. What is different? Um, Cause I agree with you. There is also, I would have worded, I worded it as like, do you want to be funny or do you want to show how, how edgy you are? I don't care if you're edgy. I just care if you're funny. Um, but what is the difference between entertaining and funny? I think like me, I, I do on stage what I, what makes knowing my instrument as much as I can. Like there's the never ending search for perfecting your voice and you're perfecting your voice with the vessel that you have and the POV that you have on stage. That's the hardest thing I think as a comedian, it really is because like, as we see with older comedians, like I said, you get that, um, you get that allowance. Like when a John Mulaney goes on stage, people came to see John Mulaney. So they're wanting to laugh. No one goes to see John Mulaney to see him fail. That is not the same thing as someone who goes to a comedy club and is seeing a bunch of comedians they don't know. They cross their arms. And it's weird because that's the difference between amateur improv and amateur stand-up. People will go see amateur improv and they're cheerleaders. And then they are so appreciative when you do connect some things and make some honest uh, humor. That might not be the funniest thing, but they're giving you the perception of like, well, we know you just made that up, so yay! Amateur stand-up. People go there and there's this already this bitterness and they're just like, oh, this better be good. Make me laugh. Where you go see Mulaney, you're like, I want him to be good. I like him. So even if he starts off and it's not hitting all your pleasure centers, you spend a lot of money to see him. Mm -hmm. You're having a night out with your significant other or friends. You maybe got a babysitter. This is Mm -hmm. your highlight of your week, which I love. My favorite joke of Seinfeld's uh, 23 Hours to Kill was he's like, this is the highlight of your week. You guys coming to see me. He's like, for me, it's just Tuesday. Yeah, that that reminds me of an old Street Fighter the movie quote. <laughs> Street Fighter the movie, Raul Julia? Yes! Uh, when uh, The day that Bison came into your village was the worst day yeah. of your life. For me, it was Tuesday. Yeah. For me, it was Tuesday. Ah. Oh. So cool. Um, I just watched some Adams Family movies. He's he's or overdrawn at the memory bank. If you want to see a great Mystery Science Theater three thousand episode. But yeah, so do you want to be entertaining or do you want to be funny? Um, Mm -hmm. I think they're the same thing. I think knowing for me, uh, and I've I've talked to different comedians who have a very uh, narrow perception of what stand-up is. They're probably the same ones that would say that Hannah Gadsby's Nanette is not stand-up. Or, oh, I like Mike Birbiglia until he, until he started doing these one-man shows. It's like, it's still stand-up. It's a, it's a genre. Where or they like, don't like impressions or... Exactly. Or in, right. like, And I'm not going to lie. As soon as I see someone bring up a guitar on stage, my first initial reaction is, oh, this could be real one-notey. And like, oh, all right, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna say, fuck you. That's a pun, and I think you knew that. One notey, (laughs) maybe, but I wasn't gonna labor on it. (laughs) Anyways, but yeah, no, I, I roll, I roll my eyes when I see gimmicks, but I also allow them to have the gimmick. It's interesting, like like if they're, but it is no different from me than just going and seeing a stand-up, going and seeing someone who is like going up there and trying to be funny, like. If they are not what I love as stand-up, like, they get up there and like, oh, 
they're doing this and that's like not my cup of tea i don't shut down i'm be like oh well they're not funny it's the same thing no. with like religion like that's why i'm an agnostic because i i find it hard to believe that there is one answer well yeah oh as a, also uh an agnostic yeah no totally totally get it <laughs> so, like but- if you're people will like look at if you're not sitting there leaning on the mic stand just talking almost like Stephen Wright or you're not being like super personal or honest or you're doing something like, oh voices and impressions that's real low-hanging fruit and blah blah that's not comedy it's like what you're there to entertain the audience the audience before you say a word on stage no matter how long you've been working on your act no matter how long you think your tight five minutes is the best and like you've done it and you've gone through the trenches of the bar shows and here and there have you traveled three states and you've done it in front of a bunch of different kind of audiences so you know it's the best set it can be doesn't matter you have paid nothing the audience that is there to see you has paid you even if they haven't bought a ticket they've paid you with their time so they've given you more than you've given them at all so like mm-hmm. entertain them that doesn't mean you have to pander but like know your material yeah and i get it like if you, if you're even if you're working new stuff i don't like going on stage like last weekend i was doing a comedy club in indiana and i thought of a bit on the drive up there it's a two-hour drive and i yeah. worked it out with my friend over the phone and I was like, okay, I think I can work this in the middle of my set because you don't do it at the beginning because you right. oh, yeah. do it at the beginning because you're worried you'll forget it and also you're excited, but that's you got to do. People something remember the beginning it. and the end. Yeah, and yeah. so I was like, if I remember it, I'm going to do it in the middle and I'm going to work on it. Mm-hmm. But I don't like writing something right before I go on stage and then just reading it. Some comedians do. I was doing a headliner weekend. I don't think that's yeah. necessarily the time to go no. up there and read it from a paper. Um, but I worked it. Some things didn't work that I'm still <laughs> tooling on. And then a couple pieces did really work that I was pleasantly surprised, but I still did it to entertain the audience. Exactly. Uh, newer comic listening. Uh, Ricky's been doing it a long time. Don't, don't. <laughs> uh, if, if someone books you on a show, maybe don't, maybe don't try new things. Just no, no. do your... I was do doing your- I was doing a 50-minute set yeah, um, where I placed it. So a guy who was opening for me, Jake Rubel, who's a great uh, comedian who's only been doing a couple years, um, he did a guest spot last weekend, and he had a new joke that he's like, I'm going to do it first. And I'm like, I think that's a bad idea. <laughs> and we both, and he knew. He's like, yeah, I know why it's a bad idea. I was like, okay, you like live and learn. I actually um, love that. When two people go, oh, that's a really bad idea. Yeah. All right. I feel about this. Um, so he went up there, did it, and he's like, eh, didn't work. And I was like, yeah, it's hard. It's like, we all know why we want to do it first, but we also all know why we shouldn't. I did my new chunk, um, let's see, 20 minutes into my set. So I had already won them over mm-hmm. to, to like me and to give them my, my specific POV. So mm-hmm. then when it doesn't sound as flushed out or confident, they are, it's almost like a magic trick. Exactly. That's how I describe comedy. It's, it's yeah. a lot like magic. It's sleight of hand. Yeah. 
And like, I don't like when comedians go, that was a new joke. Like I, so things that I say that I don't like, I still do. I still make the mistake, but like, I don't like when comics are like, oh, that was a new one. I guess we'll have to put that back. And like, just move along. Just bury it. Yeah. Just, just bury go. It. Just go. Move I, on to the next the, thing. The only line I do sometimes, if it's uh, especially quiet, I go, they get worse folks. And then I always get a couple <laughs> of people back and I was like, all right, cool. Move it on, move it on, move it on. But yeah, don't address it. Like it's yeah. it, like be a professional. And uh, exactly. And I think, I think when you hear clean comic, like the pitch of dry bar, um, it's like the pitch of clean. Some people like get skin crawl when they hear uh, like certain things like impressions, clean comedy, yeah. guitar. And it's like, no, there's so much artistry and uh, like turn of hand and misdirection that goes into even anything that even, and then maybe this is because I listen to a new special every week because of what the guest asked. Uh, I hear d- things I never would have liked or would have enjoyed and just learn from it. Mm-hmm. You can still learn from something, right? Yeah, and that's like I, every performance you do, you know. Pretty much. Try, try to learn something. I didn't like later Carlin. I just didn't. Scramble. There's no jokes. It is, but it, it makes more sense when you watch early Carlin. Yeah. <laughs> and if you learn from you can still learn from it. I yeah, there's always something like even the ones I've gotten actually mad with, um, and I can't even remember his name, but he was a very coked out '80s comic. Um, (laughs) Oh, very coked out '80s comic. Oh God, it was our second episode, and I don't remember. And usually David, uh, who's here, is really great at reminding things for me. Um, But like, I just even even if I don't like something, I can still learn. I wasn't a fan of Ellen's Netflix special. Still learned something. Yeah, I mean they're. yeah, like I said, I started watching one of Brian Regan's newest specials, and I was like, yeah, I get it. I get why people like it. Um, I kind of don't want to watch this right now. And then, like, I watched uh, Seth Meyers' Lobby Baby, and I was like, oh, that was way funnier than I expected. Like, yeah. it was, I really enjoyed it. And then there I are don't... people who, like, I like and are, like, revisiting an old friend where, like, I like Seinfeld. I thought his 23 hours to kill, I thought the first half did feel like old uh, jokes that he's been doing for a while and hadn't put in a special, which is what he did. And he said he did, but then I felt his second half, he was more energized and excited to do. And I was like, Oh man, I kind of think these, this is the newer stuff. And I bet you it is because he's more excited, which seems like such a younger comedian thing to do. But I was like, Oh, I kind of wish, you just did a whole special of this where you're like, yeah, I'm rich. Like uh, people ask me where I'm going to go on vacation. I'm like, I don't know anywhere, wherever I want. I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to save money. <laughs> right. He's like, I'm Seinfeld. It, it's, it is more exciting. Yeah, well, right. I, I believe that the excitement is way more fun. When somebody says, I don't know if this new joke's going to work. I go do it. It'd be funny. I just want to see it. Yeah. I just want to see it. I just do it. It'd be fun. And like, I, that's what I think. I think the thing you could follow, I think also partly is people overuse and misuse the term lowbrow or low yeah. hanging fruit. Low hanging fruit is just, if we're doing magic, uh, ma- comedy works best when the misdirection is not immediately obvious to the way that the comedians set up everything for your sight lines and ear lines. Um, but a low hanging fruit is just something that you can see coming. I, I th- That's how I describe it. Something that is very obvious. Something th- that is shocking. I, I think all comedy, all stand-up is uh, relatability. 
Mm-hmm. Even if you couldn't be more different from the person talking or share a different opinion, I think it is all relatability. So I think low hanging fruit is fine. I don't think there. I don't think low hanging fruit to me is necessarily a bad connotation, uh, because it shouldn't be a dirty thing to say. Be like, oh, comedy shouldn't be low hanging fruit. It's like, well, it all is. You can never take a poll to see how low hanging it was in your audience because. Right. That's why there is no copyright on comedy because everything's been done. Even a comedian like you're listening to or watching that couldn't be any more different than you or share a different opinion. You're yeah. still relating to them because you either know someone like them or they're talking about something that you're relating to. And you're like, well, I don't, I don't think that. And then what they say makes you laugh because it couldn't be any more different than what you think. And that, that elicits a laugh from you. That you know what I agree, and I think when I say low hanging fruit, I mean lazy, and sure that that is what I mean by low hanging fruit is lazy. And some people think, oh, impressions are lazy, or X, Y, and Z is lazy, and go, yeah, yeah, oh, I, I just I worked another bit. It wasn't, uh, it was new because I hadn't done it a bunch, but uh, because I'm working on half of my hour right now at shows is the album in the dry bar, and the other half is new. I'm creating my new hour and slowly filtering stuff out. So I still do my closing impressions bit, but earlier on in the set, I do a new impressions bit, which is uh, introduced by saying uh, someone getting me a cameo. And I'm like, Oh no, I I, I don't want a cameo. It's like cameo is the thing where you can get D list celebrities to like wish you happy birthday or say something to you or like say one of their catchphrases. And I was like, that's, I don't know. Like to me, that's sad. Like it's going to get so bad. That's going to be an option on Uber. Like you could pick a celebrity to drive you. And then, so I then go into this new batch of impressions and like, yes, as a student of comedy, I know the premise isn't exactly original. Like when GPS got big, impressionist everyone and their mom who does a Christopher Walken and a Sean Connery uh, oh, yeah. like went like oh my god GPS like these things are talking to you like oh but wouldn't it be crazy if you had like a Christopher Walken GPS or Joe Pesci GPS like I get it but it's like I'm doing it because it makes like I, I like that and I like doing that and I might not even love impressionist but that's I actually do why love I do it. I, yeah. It blows my mind, but I think you you hit on the nail. I think is like everyone had a Christopher Walken bit for GPS. Yeah. But like I have Cameron Lawson who was just on our last episode. He does like uh, breakfast with different friends. You know, you know this friend. You know, he's kind of like Will Smith and gets really excited about everything on the menu. <laughs> or Denzel Washington who asks very specific questions. And I go, see that is. He in brings envelops the uh, the impressions, and even if it's just GPS, like I've seen your impressions. Your impressions are quite talented, and they're not obvious impressions. The they're Sean not... Connery one is like I, I, I did that back in the day when I used to do a Christopher Walken and more of an Arnold Schwarzenegger bit. Um, like, and I did a Walken, and because I used to do a whole bunch of celebrities dramatically reading '80s songs. And I did walk in doing uh, Bon Jovi's Living on a Prayer because it's like, wow, wow, we're halfway there. Um, And so Connery always did well. And I love Sean Connery. 
And that one has stayed for a really long time, even though, again, that one is like a Gollum or a Christopher Walken or now an Adam Sandler where everyone can do it because so many people have done it. That's right. That's the thing is like bad impressions are sometimes still good impressions because people have watched other people do it enough that we've all figured out now how to do certain people. Like I just started doing a Ryan Reynolds one that's in the, um, the Uber. And that was purely because I was working some impressions on TikTok, and someone's like, do right, do Deadpool. They're like, we think you, your voice could do it. I'm like, Oh, that's interesting. Cause I always thought Ryan Reynolds had kind of a higher voice and I feel like I have a lower voice. And, and I started doing it and I was like, Oh, I think that is a good impression. And that's great because he's more of a modern, like it's not, I'm not doing Sylvester Stallone. Like I'm not reaching back into the well of these people who are going to be dead soon. You're not quoting Rambo. You're not quoting First Blood. But like I, I used to because that is the stuff I grew up on and I love. Of course. But and like, and I still love doing Sean Connery doing Safety Dance because it just makes me laugh. And I've seen what it does in front of, excuse me, in front of an audience. Now we're like, I love doing John C. Riley because I didn't hear I someone else bit, do. Yeah, and like my Norm Macdonald. Like, for the longest time, I would do a Norm MacDonald where I wrote this bit, and Norm actually helped me uh, infuse some Normisms into it, uh, was, this is Norm MacDonald talking in his sleep, and the bit never did well. And then when I came up with making it nursery rhymes, and I was like, well, he has to do Old MacDonald, and then it worked, because it was a bit inside of a bit where I could go long, and people were like, oh, yeah, that's Norm. Like, that's how Norm would do that. But like doing it on its own, people were like, no, no, thank you. And that's and that's and that's it. One, I can tell how excited you are. And that's I think maybe the point of all this. Things that you scoff at, you should only scoff at if it's boring and not fun and they're not having fun. Right. And it's clear that it's clear they're doing it because they think it's easy. But like that Norman Donald, like what I loved most about it, it's like, or even like Cameron's like uh, breakfast question. It's the cadence of how they say a sentence, not just the voice, yeah. but like the very specific things like Norm McDonald. Of course, he has a farm and he, it makes sense. He has a cow. It was like, yeah, that is how <laughs> Norm does it. Yes. Like, and he's going to do this weird misdirect and he's going to yeah, 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 yeah. crack yeah. on. Like, and like, so like, that's the old, the old impression, which Norm hates because he thinks most people do a high pitch impression, which Mine has kind of turned into that cartoony. Um, he liked my impression of him when I did it in a kind of a lower tone voice and adding. Yeah, that is Norm. That's Norm. That, that's that's Norm. Like I'm just talking normal and stuff. Baby, everybody wants to talk like this because that's a funny. Like <laughs> it's right. almost Joe Pesci. Like I, I, like. Oh, but you know, it, it, it's hitting somebody else, and I can't picture. I, I can hear. I can see the cartoon. Oh, but I sure. Can't, I can't feel it. Yeah, but I. But so, like, doing so, the old like Jay Moore kind of Norm McDonald would be like, yeah, 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 cracker, yeah. and like, so people have that in their mind because people are know sometimes the caricature of who they are. Sometimes an impression is still good without being dead on and sounding yeah. like they're in the same room. And exaggerating it. So, like, people know that version of Norm, even if that doesn't, it's not really true or exists. But so, like, doing the old McDonald, I try to infuse, like, 
Oh, McDonald, he had a farm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, on that farm, he had a... Uh, yeah, like, like, so that part is more honest to Norm, where he kind of stammers. But then the end, to hit on the exaggerated characterized, you know, that you hear other impressionists do... I do the crack whore kind of bit, or like Frank Caliendo yep. used to do. So he's like, yeah, I guess yeah. instead of animals, he had robots. And so like, just do the weird, obscure thing that is a little bit of norm sensibility, but mm-hmm. really hits on what your perception of norm is. Exactly. It's like a, it's connotation and denotation in a way. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, I guess lately I've been watching the Carol Burnett show. <laughs> Love um, me some Tim Conway. I right. Harvey and, Corman. Oh, so good. It's um I, I've been thinking about it. I've been helping my mom, and so she has TV. I don't, and I'll watch Carol Burnett. And Carol Burnett, it's a different sketch show uh, entirely than what I think most people would be used to. It's not Monty but, Python, it's not Saturday Night Live, it's not counterculture. No. It is the evolution of if Jackie Gleason would have still been doing his variety show yeah. or um Sid Caesar's Your Show of Shows, which did breed exactly. counterculture comedians of like Carl Reiner, Mel Brooks, Woody Allen. But they yeah. knew that there is, it didn't demean them to write uh, to 50 states, right? It felt it felt human. It felt very human in Carol Burnett, but his, their impressions, I've seen them do, oh God, Psycho, Hitchcock. They were doing a Hitchcock oh, episode. Nice. And... Uh, like I, I'm disparaged sometimes with modern SNL where they just get somebody that really looks like him and does a big thing of the of, mm-hmm. of the person. Whereas like I loved old SNL where they kind of didn't look like the guy, but it really sounded like what you think that person is on the news or when you think they are out off camera. Like, what is Hitchcock like? Because he doesn't. He talks so fast. He talks over jokes, which is amazing for a guy who works with tension and pacing. It's, <laughs> It actually blows my mind, but um, what is Hitchcock like? And then boil that down, and that's the impression. Not just that he looks this way, but like, what is his mannerisms? What is his little tics? What, those are the things that I love, and I think Carol Burnett's show does incredibly well. And that you're also, you're, you're showing the essence, but I think what you're talking about, uh, about the, the breakfast with bit, you are telling a joke and using the these the essence of these people that we are familiar with mm-hmm. to then really like show off the joke. So exactly. like if the nursery rhymes, like I've already presented that there is an ego and a narcissism about me where my wife is like, no, I'm with you all the time. Quit doing voices. I'm tired and annoyed with you. I'm like, cool. Now I have this person that has to listen to me. And so like, there's a little, there's, there's a different joke that's playing out that while I keep on going and the, the celebrities I go through and the bit keeps on going and that it ridiculously ends with presidents from 1985 to now doing one potato, two potato, like the escalation of it necessarily isn't like, let me show you how well I can do any or all these voices. It's like, how ridiculous is this human being that it's funny to listen to now, but can you imagine living with this person? Exactly. Imagine trying to do a Jaja Gabor impression to a baby. <laughs> yes, he has zero point of reference. <laughs> right. And then imagine explaining Green Acres. 
Like, oh my god! <laughs> I've been uh, watching a lot of TV Land and Me TV at my mom's, and I went, "Oh fuck, Green Lake, Green Acres just doesn't make any sense." No, I grew up. I grew up on all that. Um, you know what's a, also a great clip is from one of the Emmys. Uh, you can YouTube it when Trump was still on The Apprentice. It's him and Megan Mullally. Oh, I know. Doing, yeah. yeah, doing the Green Acres theme. That is woof. That is just a lot. Like, oh, fuck it. Imagine explaining a kid, not even something as old as Josh Gore. Imagine explaining Megan Mullally. It's like, you know, Megan Mullally. Great. Yeah. yeah oh, like, Seth oh. Rogen. Seth Rogen. Like, right. who is Seth Rogen going to be to my daughter in 18 years? Hopefully not her Boomba. husband, but. Pumba. Yeah. Oh, that's pretty much. It's so funny because I think of like Nathan Lane uh, oh. and uh, I can't think of the other actor's name. From the original. I don't even think of Billy yeah, Eichner and Seth Rogen as Timon and Pumbaa. Right. Yeah. No. Um, it's 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 amazing. Like it's that's the funny part, is like doing these older bits to a kid and like almost imagining the next step of having to pause and explain to them what do I is. do I wanna be because I'm doing Gilbert Godfrey now in my uh, <laughs> Uber in my Uber car one because uh his voice is also so diametrically different than right. the other voices that I'm doing. I do him between Nicholas Cage and Ryan Reynolds. So oh, that you, must hurt. Well, that the, must be physically painful. The magic trick, though, right? So yeah. Nicholas Cage was kind of has a Valley Girl, like a uh, surfer kind of voice at yeah. its core. Uh, then to Gilbert Godfrey, which the difference you're going to be like, oh, the difference is so dramatic that Gilbert might not sound exactly like Gilbert, but it sounds so different from Nick Cage that I'm almost tricked into thinking it does to then Gilbert Godfrey, who's so boisterous and loud and screeching to then so calm and managed and clear speaking as Ryan Reynolds. Like there it's is, just such a diametrically difference, a diametric difference. There are strong choices made even in things that you think person who doesn't know it very well is uh, easy. Like impressions are not an easy joke. They are still, they still have very strong writing. Um, I want to talk about something about your special that I really like. Um, and it's something I don't get a lot. I think in modern comedy where you have room to breathe on a special, you are very quick. You have an idea. You say, th- you say things to completion and there's an overarching theme, of course, of being a father and being a parent and being a husband. But like you go from like, physical pictures to uh to impressions and you you jump very quickly and i appreciate that it, it feels like a late night show thing this it is feels like wait, I, wait, what you're doing is you're you're saying in a very nice way man you have zero segues i like that <laughs> no, no but like no but like i i get that and like i um i am not someone who is good at it so i'm like why come up with uh, why eat up the time that I'm on stage or that I have allowed uh, allotted to make a bogus segue? Just go to the next thing. Like people are smart enough. Like I always think you should think that the 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 audience is just as smart as you or smarter. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. Um, we just wrote. Yeah, we just did an episode yesterday about how we write jokes uh, for newer comics, and I agree. I think maybe that solves most of it. Don't write so much because the audience doesn't need explaining and they don't, they don't need explained on things. I just jump from Catholic to, to like sandwich sex. <laughs> I don't have a, I don't have a segue. Is sandwich sex the name of the bit on your uh, set list? Yeah. I, I love it. Actually it's called Baconator. 
Because it's even better. <laughs> it is called Baconator because the Wendy's has Baconator, Son of the Baconator, and Baconator Junior. That is mean. funny. You don't even have to tell me the joke. Yeah. I, when you said sandwich sex, and then you said Baconator, and then you told me the lineage of sandwiches, I am already feel like I'm in the kitchen of this anapromorphic like Beauty and the Beast where like things got turned into a dish, things got turned into a clock, things got turned into a candelabra. You know someone in that house who was a servant also got turned into the toilet that the beast no, is using. Like it is I, actually it is actually just grimier than that. I go when you're the baconator, you don't make love. You- <laughs> if you don't have it in there, you should explore if I can give you any advice, the Please. idea of there is a family album, there is a oh. family, there's a tree, right? Because you just said it. You said there's the Baconator, which I get the, the toxic masculinity of the Baconator, the connections yeah. to Arnold Schwarzenegger and the Terminator, that's why they named it, which you don't have to explain. But like, I'm there right. with you on that. But then what you told me was, without me hearing the bit, which is also a is a family tree. Yeah. Like that is ancestry.com. Does Bacon Jr., Baconator Jr., oh, he's his dad is son of Baconator. Like, well, back when my dad, back when uh, son of Baconator, you know, Baconator was, is your great grandfather, you know, just there's something there's ridiculous. A, there's a half of the joke that I, and I'm not mentioning this on air, but there's a half of the joke I've been sitting on and working on. And I don't know how to tool it, but I thought about that because here's what's, in my head, what's really messed up, it is not that there's a family lineage. It's this man is like the Andrew Dice Clay character. <laughs> yo, hey, yo, hickory, he's hickory, back. He's a gross man that always sees <laughs> himself so much that he didn't name his second child. It's just son of Baconator. Well, I look, I'm junior, so I get that. I'm Ricky, and I will never go by Rick because I'm not someone's stepdad. And so that's right. just what I hear when I hear Rick. But, I okay, another area to explore is if you are ever, like, look, most males feel good about themselves. But, like, we've even put our... I'm not, this isn't like a bit that I think you should do word for word because I'm just spitballing. But like, if you are ever doubting the confidence of yourself, like, well, I'm gross and I'm fat, like who would ever want me? Who would ever love me? All you have to do is look at the Baconator. That's a greasy, two patty, cheese, rubbery bacon because it's from a fast food restaurant. That isn't cooked well. And like, even that sandwich had a kid that had a kid. Like, he's even getting action. Like, it's that's a gross monster of a man of a sandwich. <laughs> like, he puts the in his name. Yeah. He puts the in his name. because He puts an article. It. He puts an article. Oh. He's just not a Baconator. He's the Baconator. And then like, he's just the a son bacon. of the Baconator. Like, he's a monster of a dad. And that's the lineage I want to break down. Because I think there's no happy ending in this. No, no. Son of Baconator calls himself Carl later, goes to Montana. <laughs> and then there, Wendy's even has like the junior bacon cheeseburger. Like, that's, what is a Baconator if not a cheeseburger? Right. Well, but that's almost like your, uh, that's the son he doesn't really want to claim. Oh, like, God. You, that's the junior bacon cheeseburger. You're not a junior Baconator. 
the lineage is there, and I just don't know how to explain it, where someone goes, this guy's thinking a lot about sandwiches. Well, there's, go, yeah. that's the Jim Gaffigan, right? That's, that's the, the Jim Gaffigan. Like, this guy talks a lot about sandwiches. And you're always afraid. like, I don't want to come off of that stealing Jim Gaffigan pit. Yes. But you can't sit in quarantine looking at Grubhub and going, Baconator, Baconator Jr. and Son of Bacon, and not just think about it for, like, hours. Who... Who procreated with the Baconator? Um, I'm not going to... I don't gossip. (laughs) But... It's called a loaded baked potato for a reason. (laughs) The cream cheese. You know what? Let's just leave it there. It's... Listen, I... I, I'm going to drive you there, but you can let yourself in. Um, (laughs) What's What's the chocolate malt called? Uh, that they sell frosty, frosty, frosty. frosty. Uh, I, I was just trying to think of other things that they have there. Well, they have a vanilla frosty, but you know, it's. <laughs> I I think with as big as ancestry.com is, uh, in like family trees, I think you have a good five minute bit there where you can introduce, and I don't think it's a just saying the same joke over and over again. I think you could say the thing you're originally saying and then somehow connect ancestry.com. Yeah. I I think that is a phenomenal bit, which it's been in there, but I don't know. I've been like, it's been in that that book of like, there's something here, but I need open mics and time to explore it. And I just don't have, what I would say is write some tweets. If Twitter is good Mm -hmm. for anything and you're, I think the, the worst thing a comedian can do is stop using Twitter because they aren't getting appreciation. Like they're not getting likes or retweets like, Mm -hmm. Oh, don't use social media for that. That's gross. Use it for marketing uh, where, where you can and hope that it does kind that maybe it's received that someone does come to a show or buy something, whatever, but like, Use Twitter to make yourself right every day. And so tweet out, which it keeps you to 140 characters. I would first break it down by sandwich and write the, the story, like as earnestly as you can write the, uh, the oh, Dick, a- like like the Dickens version of the story of the life of the son of Baconator. Was he resentful for his father? Did he try to become his father? Did he love his father? But then he found out years later that it was kind of like Willie Loman and Death of a Salesman that his I father. Hate that I love this. Yeah, and so like do that, <laughs> like explore it so big and blow it up, and then go back through and put them all down as like a family tree, and start making the connections of what the funniest thing is from each one of those. And there's your mm-hmm. joke. Yep, I think I think so too, and I think it's a, uh, and it's also perfect that you can cut those jokes out, like the the sex part, the concept, the it's really a life of Brian situation. We talk about conception, and then we can cut it off and talk about life as two different sets. Yeah, but back to what I was, but what I like about not segues and how quick you are is. Oh yeah, you- talk more about what you liked about me. I, I shouldn't have. Shouldn't have derailed you. I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> well, say what you like about me. Yeah, um, I need some more of this I- admiration. Um, in five minutes, I think I knew everything about you. I think I knew everything. <laughs> oh no! In a good way, in that Pandora way. Like yeah. when I was getting into comedy, I just went on Pandora. I picked a comic I liked, and I went shuffle. And I discovered mm-hmm. so many different comics. And I think in bite-sized chunks, you need to know. And that's why some comic, like younger comics, they may go, "I want to do 20. and I go, "No, no, no, no. Five is so good. Mm-hmm. Five is so good because it's everything you are. And now it's just everything you are. 20 minutes is just everything you are times four. And yeah. like, 
in five minutes, I, would, I want to see the rest of the special, not only because it's my job, but because I want to see it. And, and, and the lack of segues, and I think the lack of fluff, is just, is just hit after hit after hit. And we just go to the next thing. Let's not, let's not delve too much because it's already done. We're done. Let's move on. Let's have fun. And that's very important. And I think sometimes people get nervous and uncomfortable if the, the idea is not fermented enough in the audience mind. Mm-hmm. They don't think they're smart enough. But you're smart enough. Move on. Yeah. Well, th- after a show last weekend, uh, a guy who does comedy uh, was hanging out and he was talking to me. Uh, he wasn't on the show, but he came there to see the show. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, uh, he was talking about a bit and I was giving my two cents and like, you know, riffing on it. Kind of like we just do with the sandwiches. Right. And he's like, oh, he's like, oh, I don't think I, I don't have the vocabulary that you have. And I was like, oh, that has nothing to do with it. What's your vocabulary? Like, home spin it like what's where's where's your approach like if you think that's funny you have a way to say it like yeah i I never want to be on stage and be like oh he's so smart like when i say that my wife is smarter than me that's because i i do feel that way and yes we all have our expertise in certain areas but like as a human being, I feel like she's she's smarter than i am yeah like i would i would i would never uh, I would never give up myself to a leader like me. I would give it up to a leader like her who has the qualities of someone like her where I struggle. When you said you watched the first five minutes, I have comedians that I love and my biggest struggle is still finding my voice and honing it and making a, a cohesive narrative. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know you said no segues, but I, that's what I'm still working on is not the segues, but that when you stand back from the show, uh, I, I, I've written plays, like I'm a playwright too. And so, and I, I write screenplays. And so I would like there to be a narrative, like an overarching theme or a story progressing or roller coastering. But I also love comics like Robin Williams, who have this kinetic energy, or Steve Martin, who has this absurd. So, like my special on Dry Bar, my opening line, because opening lines are hard too, and you kind of just want to have them pay it. It varies where you're performing. Like I've done a lot of breweries, wineries, because they're kind of the modern day coffee house. And I've done comedy clubs and I love them all. Like I don't have a preference because they each have their good and they each have their bad. You are still the same performer. You shouldn't Mm -hmm. have to cater who you are as a performer to those places. I think all you need is a microphone. I like a microphone. I think you just need a microphone. You don't need a stage. I don't think you need lighting. Um, You just need them to be able to hear you. I've done uh, a show without a microphone. <laughs> yeah, no, and I'm like, and I have too. But like for my like doing voices and stuff, I'm still also working on uh, vocal uh, yeah, health. And so, like, I've done two shows where I get, like you said, I get excited. Where I get excited and I'll be louder than I need to be because I have a microphone. And then by the end of the second show, my voice is shot, and it shouldn't be because then I look at rock stars and I'm like, oh, they're doing like uh, every. Uh, like multiple shows a night and stuff and very long sets and singing. I need to figure out how to do this better. But so the opening to get them focused and be kind of being like, this is who I am. Just a taste of the dry bar was, um, I don't know. You all were just introduced to me, but I don't know who you are. So on the count of three, I'd like everybody to say their name and everyone says their name. And it's this gobbledygook. I couldn't possibly hear or make a distinction of who is who, but I right. say, it's nice to meet you. 
So that joke within the next one, which is by round of applause, how many people have clapped their hands before? Which is adorably silly, and I love it. Right, it, it's dumb, and it's very. But both of those are very like Steve Martin esque, which there's yeah. a part of me that loves it, but I also know that I Steve Martin was a character on stage, like he is a very nervous, very uh, awkward human being who is mm-hmm. not super open or communicative. But as that character on stage, he was. He found a way to release some of his anxiety. Right. I'm not that. I don't love group a lot of group settings. Uh, I do like more intimate. I'm kind of an introvert extrovert. But I also know that I couldn't do a whole show like that. But I like doing some of that. And mm-hmm. I want to find a way to meld the blue, co- which I guess we'd maybe call blue collar sensibilities of a guy who talks about his wife being a husband, uh, talking about pop culture, being a father, but also have some what i think is like classic comedy absurdity mixed in and that is you know that is that is a journey that i actually can't wait to see more of i'm really excited that's that's the stuff i get excited for is what people are working on um but in terms of playwright and theming i've i've actually am also writing a play and i was a english major and i loved writing and so I was always wanting to be like a smart John Oliver type or John Stewart type when I started, I guess. Um, and I want, I need, things need to have a meaning in this joke. And I step back and my meaning is in theming. Um, like for me, I talk at the beginning about my mental health. I talk about my worldview and then they're all very short and quick. And then I blossom it into now that we've discovered what my worldview is, let's see how that works in situations mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. dating mm-hmm. and stuff. It's all going to be wild and all over the place, but there's an overarching theme. And that's what I said I like about you and the the shortness and the and the theming. You have this thing about being a dad, being a father and whatnot, but then you move it in different paradigms. And that's the, the theming I really appreciate that I think you only get from a comic of a certain experience cap. Yeah, I started in 2005 where I said like, so I... In 2005, I was a sophomore in college, and so I had gone and have lived in Campbell County and had gone to Campbell County High School and had played sports for many years where a mascot was a camel. I had all of that experience. I used to joke with friends, and we used to be like, oh, our mascot and our school colors are awful. Like, And we would recognize why why it was funny. I didn't have the maturity as a performer. Uh, either as an actor on stage, as a writer, or as a stand-up, or improviser, or sketch comedian, to reflect and use that on stage. Mm -hmm. I had already had that life experience, but I hadn't had enough like real-life experience to be able to have the know-with-all to use it. And so now I'm kind of going back, and I'm doing that. And I, I like it, and I, I feel more confident when I talk about these things on stage. You were saying me developing who I am. What The new bit that I wrote on the way up to the comedy club last weekend is titled on my set list, Crackhead Pizza. And it covers like three separate bits that all have a through line that do kind of have a segue. But it all starts off with ordering food for my daughter's one-year-old birthday. And we were like, well, we're going to get something we want because she don't care. Like, uh, so we're going to get pizza and I was ordering the pizza on my phone, getting ready to press send, send the order. And an ad came up and was like, 
would you like to add an order of crazy cheese-filled breadsticks with marinara dipping sauce? And I was like, no, that is pizza, but with assembly required. Why would I get an appetizer <laughs> of the thing that I'm getting as a main course? Like, I wouldn't go to, to, to eat ribs and get riblets as an appetizer. I wouldn't go to a steakhouse and get steak tips as an appetizer. I wouldn't order pigs in a blanket and also then have a hot dog for dinner. Oh, it's 10% off. I'll take an order of this. <laughs> and like... And then, so what I say is, but I was like, and then I get the pizza and I can't, I get all that and I'm eating the breadsticks and I'm like, I trick myself into being like, oh, it's good that you got these cheesy breadsticks because you're really seeing, like, you're having to do all the work. You're really understanding the plight of the people that took, uh, to put your pizza together. Like you really seeing the process. And so I trick myself and that's why I eat it. And then I trick myself into eating more pieces of pizza because, I go, oh, there's only three pieces left. I don't want to have to wrap this up and put it in the refrigerator. I'll just eat it. It's not the worst thing I could be doing. It's not like I'm smoking crack. That's the excuse I say. But that's not fair to crackheads. Because crackheads probably aren't like, oh, man, I really want to do some more crack. This isn't the worst thing I could be doing. It's not like I could be eating three extra pieces of pizza. I mean, those are calories. you got to watch out for that. That stuff will kill you. And then I go into a bit about the TV show Intervention about how like the TV show intervention is on the, on the outside is doing a really good thing. They're helping these crackheads, but the casting for that, like they're not just helping any old crackheads. Like you have to be the crackiest crackhead. You have like that's crackhead implies that you're ahead of something like cheeseheads who are like green Bay Packer fans. They're like top echelon like fans. So like a crackhead is someone who just doesn't dabble in crack. They've really honed their craft. That's who the TV show intervention wants. When they have their casting session, they're like, Ooh, no, no, you're not crackhead enough. Uh, okay. We want you, you really look like you you've done this for a while. Do you have any acting experience? And they're like, uh, method. (laughs) And so then there's actually, there's a, there's a third bit about reality shows of like cooking show of like, you can't trust reality shows like cooking. They, they give the ingredients, they say the thing they need to make in like a half an hour, but you can't smell or taste it. So who cares? Like, yeah, they're telling us it's good, but it could not be like, if you want to make me interested in a cooking show, like add another obstacle, be like Greg and Susan, we've given you all the ingredients to make apple pie in 30 minutes. But you also have to fight off ninjas while doing it. <laughs> and that that has that pop culture, but also that like wildness of comedy classic. And I, I can see that. And I love that. Um, so I guess my question is uh, for you is like, say there's like some new comics who are listening. What advice would you give them? Uh, um, write and the old Seinfeld thing of like type it or write it out however you write it uh, write it like I know there's the Mark Marins but even he's admitted to writing more now and he like he like makes him feel more comfortable there are comics who are like well, I, I just go up with the premise or I talk to the audience and then I figure it out like no you're masturbating if you want to masturbate stay at home um, go on stage to entertain like write out a little like write it out like, I get yeah. it. Like, who has the luxury? Because most of these mics are five minutes to go up there and just wing it. Um, I've so, seen a lot of old new comics just waste their five minutes by winging it. 
and it's uh um uh 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 what were you saying uh oh no thank you um, what should and, i do next yeah what, what do you guys want to talk about or like oh i guess you guys aren't here to laugh i hate berate yeah don't berate an audience um yeah. right and then however you write uh take as many words out that don't need to be in the thing that mm-hmm. still make it coherent Mm-hmm. those are just extra words that I know as we were saying before earlier in the podcast that like you think it's a flourish of language of like well this is how I talk and it's like eh, maybe you can embellish it later but right now let's get to the joke quicker and but, like yeah. I, I still don't do that as much as I should but that is my advice I, I agree and you, you stated something about like the experience to use my experience and that is um, I know a, me when I was younger and probably a lot of comics are so afraid of what is my voice? Why can't I find it yet? Mm-hmm. Dear God, it's me, Jeremy. And <laughs> I wish that's how you started off a set. <laughs> like you're just looking up into the bright light, like hugging the microphone. You're like, dear God, it's me, Jeremy. Uh, what gave me the feeling that I could come up here and make these strangers laugh? Please tell me, oh. give me a sign. All the other comics got their voice. When am I getting my voice? Yeah. And... Look, all the six comics before me talked about jerking off. Should I talk about jerking off? <laughs> I should probably, I reference that book so much. I should probably read it. Uh, <laughs> nah. Is, nah. I, I'll, I'll spark Snokes that book for sixth graders. Yeah, but, Wikipedia, um, Wikipedia, Wikipedia. But um, I, that's what I think it is. That's where experience comes. Your voice comes from knowing what rules to break and how to break it, but also the experience and how to use your experience. Because I keep saying comedy is so un unnatural in nature and cannot be formed naturally. That when you are on stage for the first time, you are starting at at experience zero and going up from there. Again, one of my comedy Bibles, like different books that we've talked about, uh, because I do have an improv background, you said you have to know the rules to break them. That's kind of the mythology of the Annoyance Theater run by Mick Napier, who was a break off of Second City. Um, He's like, he has a book of like, you know the rules, you've done the rules, now we can break them and here's how you can. Seinfeld's Comedian. I know I keep on mentioning Seinfeld, but I love that documentary Comedian where... Mm -hmm. uh, he he talks about uh, oh man I just chased the rabbit of mentioning McNapier. Oh, he says about the age you are. He's like mm-hmm. I think the age you are in the comedy that you present is a direct reflection of how many years you've been doing comedy. And that's like if you've been doing for comedy for four years, you're a four year old. Like your approach to comedy is like the humor of a four year old. Like that's exactly. how you act. I'm a five-year-old. I'm talking about sandwiches having sex. <laughs> but you also, you, you've hit on something that is deeper and like, oh man, like again, like I think if you, you're an, you were an English major. I mentioned the great American novel about writing that. If yeah. you can spin the yarn of again, like this lineage of like the Baconator, you know, that's like your great grandfather who fought in world war two. And he's like America. But then like the son of Baconator, he fought in Vietnam and he's like, man, war is bad. And then you have (laughs) junior Baconator who, you know, had skirmishes. He didn't really do any wars. 
I always thought it was like a uh, death of a salesman where the Baconator is uh, Willie Loman. Yes. He's great. And son of Baconator, I'm not his real son. And then becomes a farmer and just hates his dad. And then the the, the Baconator gets dropped in a parking lot. Like that's just, <laughs> I mean, spoilers. Uh, and, for oh, and, then, oh, and then you could just do plug them into the song Cats in the Cradle. Oh God! It's it's it, the joke is there. I'm waiting for the nightmare that happens at three o'clock in the morning where something just hits me. Like I, I wake up in the cold sweat, dreaming about sandwiches, and I go, "I got it." Here's here's what here's the the project that I propose to you. Uh, write out, look up the lyrics to "Cats in the Cradle," and I'm, just I'm, put. I'm from in, a divorced home. I know it. Yes. Don't worry. <laughs> just put in all the sandwiches. <laughs> Uh, it is, oh, I, I think about that sandwich family so often, like I shouldn't, I shouldn't because they're a monsters family, but I, <laughs> I do think about them. <laughs> I guess they're like Roseanne, but like, really oh my God, bad. I was just getting the Connors. I was just getting ready to say the, that's the Baconator, the trashy family who loves NASCAR. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No. And like. Like, when you invite the Baconator to a family get-together, he will tell you how to scam and cheat the government in a way that makes you incredibly uncomfortable. Look, the original Baconator doesn't have lettuce, doesn't have tomato, because it doesn't have time for that gay shit. Like, <laughs> then as it gets down to the ju- like the junior, like, like, as I always say to my wife, like, we are the best and the worst of our parents. Hopefully each generation we do better based off of learning from the generation before us. So then by the time you're getting down to like the lowest, uh, the newest, it's like farm raised. There's a piece of lettuce on it. Like it's more welcoming to other condiments. Yeah, one went to college. Baconator, son of Baconator went to college. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I and love it. Good, I love for it. him. But here's the thing is, here's the thing. I, I have also loved bits that I think are brilliant and it just never connects with an audience. That doesn't mean you can't always tinker with it or years later, come back to it. Like I had a, uh, I got to get going soon, but, uh, of course, whatever whatever quick, whatever couple questions you have, but I was going to say is this bit that I love that I just had to let go, which maybe if I do get any bit of notoriety or celebrity, I could rework on it because I would have that, like people like my voice and they're coming to see me specifically but is the history of serial killers and how much we love serial killers. And the reason why there were more serial killers back in the day than there are now is because they had long train rides, right? Everything wasn't at their fingertips. They had time to think about it. Like, ah, if I were going to kill someone, who would it be? And how would I do it? Like they had the time to think of it. They weren't always stimulated. And I was like, but you know who the original serial killer were? Cavemen cavemen like killed everyone with like a rocks and so like then i did this act out of like law and order like csi but like the murder weapons were rocks but there were rocks everywhere and it was like well who's the killer well everyone is because everyone's bludgeoning people with rocks (laughs) um all right so you have to go so i have some fast five questions that we ask everybody and one new one because you like horror and i love horror and i don't get a chance um favorite sandwich I love making, like, I love, you know how sometimes uh, boyfriends or husbands that haven't 
been good to their significant other and they overdo Valentine's Day with like rose petals and they light some candles and there's some oils and they really use that day to treat their significant other right that's like when I'm going to do a sandwich night I like getting some like really nice bread I like cutting a nice tomato and lettuce uh, throw some bacon probably a BLT a favorite joke that you have Favorite joke that I have ever told. Um, probably because I thought of it when my brother and I were roommates in Chicago and he didn't think it was funny. And then I used it and uh, it did get well received is uh, I don't think it's in the dry bar is Polish and Polish. Um, I say my wife's much smarter than I am. Weird example. She knows when to say certain words, even when they're spelled the same, but have different pronunciations and meanings. For example, Polish and Polish. I'm never sure what I'm supposed to say one or the other. Like I could go to a barbecue and be like, Hey, I really want a Polish sausage. <laughs> you know, spite, spite love is still love. Yes. And so like, and I, I told that to my brother when I thought of it and like, you know, I didn't give it the, I didn't give it the energy just then reciting it mm. or also probably gave it less energy when I told it to my brother of being, who is a doctor who is much smarter than I am. Um, right. And we have very different tastes in comedy. Um, he's like, that's not funny. He's like, who would confuse Polish and Polish? I'm like, God. how do people know when it's Polish Nerd. or Polish? Yeah. I was like, like how, like, okay, sit on your throne and tell me that you always know when it's Polish or Polish. Um, <laughs> And so then I did it and like he was in the audience one of the first times that I did it. And he's like, all right, I'm wrong. You're right. It's funny. <laughs> um, biggest bomb. Oh, caveman bit. Like, mm. and I didn't even tell you, like, I don't even remember what the fully written out bit is, but like, it was a long bit. And like, I tried it so many times. I tried it in so many different permutations, areas of my set. I tried whittling it down, making it shorter. Um, that it just never worked. And like, I would tell it over and over to my wife and she's like, I look, I get it. I know you think it's funny, but clearly <laughs> no one else is laughing. And I'm like, but it's funny for this. She's like, yeah, I, I get it. Why you think it's funny. She's like, but it is, it is not connecting where on the other vein is working on some new horror jokes. Um, because I do love horror and I'm going to talk yeah. about it more in my new set is what bugs me about new movies is they always have to spend so much time getting rid of cell phones. And I say, thank God cell phones didn't exist in old horror movies. Like, can you imagine if like you're watching psycho and like Janet Lee's driving down the old road and it's storming and it's thundering and it's lightning and she's getting tired. Her eyes are barely holding up. And then she sees that oasis of that neon sign that says the Bates motel. And she thinks, Oh, thank God. Now I can pull over there and sleep for the night. But first she goes, you know what? Let me see what its Yelp review is. Um, and then, so I think that's where the joke ends. I first told it as a longer bit where I gave a bunch of examples of like the Overlook Lodge from The Shining, Camp Crystal Lake. Um, and then my friend was like, you're just telling the same joke over and over again. He's like, it's it's this, the reason why it's funny is you're just saying it three times. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, I think it's just the psycho example. And where I would go then is go, uh, let's see what his Yelp review is. Oh, owner watches you while you take a shower and has mommy issues. I'm going to the Holiday Inn. 
it's um, that low before and when you're describing the scene and it's yes. atmospheric with that that really sells it i think and it's low an example and so then uh i did it last weekend and it yes doing the setting the stage painting the picture and doing that uh suspense hitchcocky and why it works in the movie and like we don't even know as an audience that she's pulling into her her you know her doom her inevitable doom um because we don't even know when she talks and meets with norman like we have empathy and sympathy for norman when she's talking with him we're like oh i feel so sorry for this guy we don't know where the movie's going yeah um, but so then to break it with the yelp review just saying let's see what its yelp review is that got the big laugh and then saying the next part about uh has mommy issues and watches you while you shower it kind of fell flat. And I was like, oh, maybe I don't even need that part too. It is just what you just said of the painting, the picture, and the misdirect, and then the Yelp review, which is the relatability, because we don't do anything nowadays without going, well, how many stars does it get on Amazon? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I think, th- and that says the rest of the picture without saying the words. And uh, yeah, I, ag- I agree. Speaking of horror movies, what's your favorite scary movie? What's your favorite scary <laughs> movie? <laughs> I want to know who I'm looking at. What? What'd you say? <laughs> I, I, said, I said, I want to know who I'm talking to. That's not what you said. <laughs> um, uh, favorite is uh toss up between a nightmare on Elm street one and a nightmare on Elm street three. Oh. You probably can't have dream warriors without having the first one. You wouldn't have the buy-in of Nancy and the mythology and the character. It's a beautiful and, movie. Uh, but three is like, the first superhero movie to me where it's his team granted it doesn't get to the levels as if you read Wes Craven's original script which is bonkers and they made a much better movie uh Chuck Russell and Frank Darabont yes Frank Darabont the filmmaker in Walking Dead fame and Shawshank Redemption and Green Mile Frank Darabont worked on A Nightmare on Elm Street 3 that's why it's so rich with the characters and the difference between Elm Street and like uh, even Halloween, Halloween's a little bit more elevated, but definitely elevated over Friday the 13th, where it's a new batch of dum-dums every time. And the movie yeah. really isn't good until the last 10 minutes. But the last 10 minutes is all you remember when you go to see the next sequel the year later. And then you sit yeah. through an hour and 20 minutes of drab and bad acting and bad dialogue. But so Elm Street, like, I love those kids. The relationships, the, you can't, That's like, your parents funny. don't trust you and they don't listen to you. Like it's so rich. That's the, is that the one where they're in a van? Uh, no, that's not the one with Super Freddy. No, that's um. Oh, that's I love me some Nightmare Five though. That is Nightmare I, Five. I confuse Nightmare, Nightmare Five. Five. Super Freddy is Nightmare Five, but I also love it because the more often or not, except for the three movie stretch of Friday the Thirteenth, where they have three different actors play Tommy Jarvis. Um, <laughs> but at least they had a character that kind of went through Elm Street. Uh, more of the movies connect and more characters yeah. connect and there's more of this uh, overarching story. And I even like Elm Street 5. 4 is like the MTV one and it had made the most money. But 5 also came out at the end of horror movies in 89, less than a mm-hmm. year later after 4. And it dealt with teen pregnancy. So like the kids coming to see it are like, ah, oh, this is too heavy. I want that fun movie we just saw. And there's less deaths in five, but I think it's yeah, crazy. yeah. Um, I I don't I try not to answer. My favorite horror movies is I really like Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Um, yeah, Guilty Pleasure. I I look, I did Guilty Pleasures too. 
I well, I love practical effects. Oh, like yes. I love if I I love looking at like like costumes and matte paintings and props. Yep. I love it, and I love when somebody embraces camp, and I love it. On the reverse side, I also like Leprechauns Three because it's just shady. <laughs> that is not the one where it's in the hood. That is the one there in Vegas. I look. I I love um, Hellraiser Four bloodline where half the movie is pinhead in space and the other half is explaining the creation of the box oh that's when you lose me in a horror movie i don't care i don't care why oh no no i don't need the reason either but like the stuff that they do because we already had the story of a little bit of pinhead being a general in the war in number three which number three is bonkers and they're just ripping off freddy with one-liners and stuff, but uh, for like, there's some actual like really good dark, uh, gothic shit in uh, Hellraiser Bloodline. Yeah, I don't need Rob Zombie's Halloween to explain why no. Michael Myers. Like, I don't think it's bad. It's just I didn't need that. I don't need Jason Goes to Hell, which I like. Jason Goes to Hell because it at least does something different in the Friday series. And I'm actually friends with Adam Marcus who co-wrote and directed it. Um, He's an amazing guy, but like, I also, I understand the reason for retconning or giving more story because there's only so much you can do, but I also don't never had a care. Like comparing to Freddie, Jason doesn't have a character. Like there was no reason for him to exist because his mom was the killer. Yes. And there isn't, a reason for it. Jason is a universal monster. Jason, Jason is, is Jason is. I, I'll do you one better. He's not Frankenstein. He's Bruce, the shark from Jaws. Yes, yes, he is. He's just a force. There's nothing you can do with him. And I want to see more. I, I want the. I want to see Friday the Thirteenth again. But I also know you. You can't do. Much. What I suggest is if uh, a, a great podcast called Best Movies Never Made, there was mm. one uh, with a writer who was originally hired to do a Friday the 13th, uh, a new one 3D after the Platinum Dunes 2009 one, where the movie that he goes through what the movie would have been, it's fantastic because uh. he embraced the like what Jason is. Like he's killing all of these. Uh, camp counselors and he's dragging the bodies to the bottom of the lake have you seen the uh just that fan-made film about oh never uh never hike alone yeah that's that is that is jason that is basically it and then the sequel never hike in the snow which i didn't know about uh, that yet oh yeah so never hike alone is they bring in tom matthews who played tommy jarvis in the third uh in jason lives so the third incarnation of tommy jarvis um but see, like, I like Friday the 13th 5, A New Beginning, where it's a copycat Jason, but it's sleazy and it's it was directed by oh, him who so used to direct dirty. porn. Yeah, like you can feel oh. the grace of the movie. I, lo- I love that in the same reason I love Leprechaun 5. If I want real horror movies, uh, 1954 Godzilla. And <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a toss up between Halloween 1 and Halloween 2018. I, I didn't dig 2018. Um, I loved it. I think it did yeah. the final girl evolution like more better than uh, but but here's the thing is it doesn't so H2O, I, okay H2O, h2o at least even though they don't acknowledge four and five four and five definitely existed and two definitely existed in h2o mm. so Lori, okay. who is a warrior and yeah she has her demons and she drinks and she 
does has a bad choice of men and now alan uh adamarkin adamarkin the other uh, okay. the dean like she he is the first nice guy that she's probably been with and she's still like keeping him at arm's distance and she's an alcoholic and she's an overprotective mom it is all warranted um even without yeah. them saying it because they cut the scene out we they don't say that it definitely never happened but she had a child that she was so worried would ha- something that would happen to jamie that she abandoned her and faked her death in a car accident I can see that. I so can see H2O, it's more, like it's it's more honest, and I love the portrayal of Lori. I can't. They have their cake and eat it too in 2018 because they know that you can't erase our memory of the movies. There's a meme that shows uh, Lori from H2O, the the line, the tree line of like what movies happen is the way she is because of Halloween one and two. Lori from 2018 Halloween had one encounter where two friends died and she is Rambo Lori and like but but what they're doing is we buy it and we don't think it's so ridiculous because we know that those Lord. other movies happen right we've had the taste Fair. they're giving us something different which is nice but it doesn't make sense that it, she would be because she didn't have Halloween two happen Fuck, you're right. I I guess I kind of I threw that out. Um, because, yeah, and I agree with that. I think I just liked a uh, an ang- I like the angry Lori. I love it. Uh, that made me. Feel it's like a great me- performance, and it's good. Like I like it, but I didn't like get so hard about it because they only got rid of two to get rid of the familial aspect, which I get, I, and I love that. Just keeping weird. the shape, keeping the shape being dark, but. Mm-hmm. They also forget that so many people saw the original Halloween on broadcast television where they edited in the scene where Laurie is is brother and sister to Michael, even in the original movie. Yes. So what they're going off of, they're being so like jerk offy film nerdy that they're like, well, but if you saw it in the theater where they weren't brother and sister in the first movie, that's the sequel we're making. And it's like, I saw it on DVD. So I didn't even know. I forgot that broadcast exists. I also will admit that I sometimes just like good kills and man, there are some just angry kills from the shape. And that's why I love the shape so fucking much. He's just so angry. He's he's pure. He is pure evil, but I think that pure evil also only exists because you know, the history of the character. It is true. And I, I admit that it does have its cake. And maybe that's why I like it is like I get to throw away all the dumb things except for three because three is kind of cool. I love three. Like, three I love cool. three. Uh, but so I'm excited to see the next two to then go, okay, because the Halloween movie series resets itself. It has a hard uh, time making more than two movies. You have Halloween really one does. and two, and then you have three, and then you have four and five, and then you have six, and then you have H2O, and you have Resurrection, and then it switches to then just and two have, zombies. Yep. Uh, I'll admit Rob Zombie looks pretty. I like dirty Halloween. I think Halloween looks best when it's really dirty. And it's just gross. Yeah, Midwestern. Like, I, Midwestern. And I think that's why I like yeah. about it. Yeah, and that's why I like Rob Zombie. I don't like anything else about it. Yeah, that number too. Like, I like what he did with Loomis. Um, that he becomes, yeah. uh, like, uh, he becomes media hungry and just a camera whore. But the movie and just, like, the white horse and his mom. Yeah. yeah. I don't get it. 
Yeah, I just need shape, go on kill, it's done it. But um, I personally, I would love to talk to you about more horror movies like Rob, <laughs> like, like, uh, like uh, George Romero's unmade Resident Evil movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, just Romero and the evolution of where he had to scale back Day of the Dead because uh, mm-hmm. he didn't have the oh. budget that he wanted, but he ended up making what he wanted for Day of the Dead in Land of that's the actually, Dead. That's my favorite horror movie. I take it back. Day of the Dead. Day of the Dead? Interesting. Day of the you Dead. don't pick Dawn or Night of or Land. I like, okay, I think I've only seen the first one. I have not, I've not seen Dawn because it's so fucking hard to find it. Really? Because uh, I don't have a Blu-ray of it and I don't have a DVD and it's hard to find it. I've seen Day. I've seen, oh, what's the first one? Night. I've seen yeah, Night. Yeah. Public domain. I've seen, public domain. And I've seen... I've seen, and I have his book, The Living Dead, mm-hmm. which I recommend. Um, Day of the Dead, I love, again, for, uh, oh, God, who did those kills? Who's the who's the practical effects artist? Tom uh, Savani. Savani, I loved that. Well, he loved also, Tom Savani is the one who did uh, the remake with Tony yes. Todd in the early yes. 90s, which I think is, is, is a fantastic adaptation or uh, a reimagining of the original movie as well. Yeah. Um, I like the. Kill. I don't like Zach. I don't like Zack Snyder, and I liked the Dawn of the Dead remake because he did I, something different. I didn't know that happened till like a year ago, and I, as a comic book nerd, I actually and who's loved Superman for the goodness of who Superman is, mm-hmm. despise my yes. Superman. Yeah, um, we we are on the same page, and my argument uh, always is like I like the opening of Krypton, kind of being like Avatar. Um, but what I said at the core is who Superman is, is ultimately defined by him not being able to save Jonathan from dying of a heart attack. When you make, when you make Kevin Costner make the choice, no, don't save me. So people don't see your powers. That does not have the same impact. Nope. Um, and also like his dad is his Martha and Kent are the reason why Superman is Superman. Yeah. Jonathan. Yeah. Which is why Zod works. Yes. Because Zod doesn't have it. And it's like, it, it, it's, I could go into hours, but Dan Zod, I like. Zod is the antithesis of Jonathan and Jorel. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but what I liked about Day of the Dead is I actually like, sm- not smart zombie, but I like humanity in zombie. Well, that's, I and mean, I, Romero's, that's why you're going to be people who love those movies, love them for different reasons that they may not even fully understand because of the race relations, because of the socioeconomics of, Mm -hmm. of his original three and even land of, Uh, that's why you might be more drawn to him. Even though you said about loving killer clowns from outer space, there's a reason why you love day of for how smart it is opposed to like Fulci, like zombies too, like where it's just carnage. And like, yeah, it's fun to watch a zombie bite a shark, but when you care about characters and you love seeing the evolution of these people who live in this world, who are, it's almost like uh, Planet of the Apes. Exactly. Like, yes. It's where the, the apes are the new, the way of living. We were talking about pandemic, the new normal. There's not going to be a new normal. It's going to resemble something different that there's going to be. That's why I think people are so angry right now. Uh, for a lot of different reasons is because they're clutching on to something that never really existed, but that definitely doesn't exist. And they're being forced to progress and evolve. And they're just kicking and screaming. Uh, The end of day of the dead, where it's the three survivors, which one I do like a horror movie where it's not just a final girl where it's, it can be multiple. I like it when, when that happens, 
she makes her own calendar. She finds her own new life living in the helicopter. That is going to be, I feel, a new pandemic where we make our own November 3rd and we write it off and we we start our own new dates. And that is, yeah, yeah I think there's it's not a happy right. It's not a happy ending. <laughs> like, no, it isn't. <laughs> it's, but it's helpful. It's the it's Empire helpful. Strikes Back, yeah. Yeah. Um, God, I could want to talk more about horror movies. I don't get a chance that often. But, um, which I, I just might just, I just might now just add you on Instagram and go, listen, you need to read this book. Um, <laughs> but where can people, why do you tell jokes? Uh, to entertain, purely. I love entertaining. I love being creative and being able to entertain with my creativity is awesome. Like I did from March to August. Uh, I didn't love the Zoom shows because I didn't feel the connection of the entertaining. So to still write and be creative, I started a weekly uh, puppet show called Weekend Pup Date, where it was my take on kind of Norm MacDonald-esque Weekend Update. Um, But by August, I, I had to mention an Entertainment Weekly. Like there was some acknowledgement of the show that I was doing. But the news got hard to read every week and then write a new half hour every week to produce it and write it myself. I wasn't getting paid. And then the the views were so inconsistent that I'm like, <laughs> I like I like creating this, but like for who am I doing it for? Um, and it, it was too much work. And then it coincided with shows starting to happen again where I was doing some outside like outdoor shows and some drive-in shows. And I was like, this was a lot of work. I'm going to stop it. I love what it was, but yeah, so that's, I do it to entertain and I do it because it is a creative outlet that that fills my cup is getting the creativity out. The the, pandemic, like some people like doing this podcast has helped me so much during the pandemic. And it is, the minute it is not fun, the minute it is not entertaining to me and to the audience, I, I'm done. I yeah. don't care. Yeah, um, you didn't lose. There's no, there's no such thing as failure. Even when you say you quote unquote fail, it's like what we said before. You learn from it, and then you, you become did. a bit, you become a smarter, stronger person if you do allow yourself to learn from it and not just shove it away and be like, "Well, that was a failure. I don't want to acknowledge it," because you're going to be smarter and stronger based off of that experience, the next thing you do, even if you don't even perceive or see the connectivity of why they connect and are similar, you, you learn. Exactly. And uh, final question for you. And it's very important. Uh, where can people find you? And do you have anything to plug? I am on Twitter at Ricky Glore on TikTok at Ricky Glore on Facebook at Ricky Glore comedy, Instagram at Glore Ricky. And what I'm plugging is Download the Drybar app. We talked about it before. There's no catch. Download it. It's free. Watch specials. Watch Dad Bod on there or search my name, Ricky Glore. Watch some other great ones like Erica Rhodes or Jeff Jenna's. Those are both fantastic ones. Greg Morton's, if you like Impressionist. He used mm-hmm. to work for Hanna-Barbera. He's an amazing Impressionist. Ooh. Was on uh, America's Got Talent, I think, last year. Does mm-hmm. this phenomenal Star Wars bit. I'm not sure if it's on the special or not. Um, and buy my album or stream it. It's spitting image. If you have someone, if you're listening to this, you're like, I love clean comedy because I can share it with my parents, my grandparents or whoever. And you're looking for a gift. Uh, it's a picture of my daughter on it. So you know where the money's going to you you know, the child that it's feeding um, <laughs> when you buy the album and you see the picture. Uh, 
Spitting Image, iTunes, Amazon. You can buy a physical copy at circustrapeze.com. Go to the website. You can buy a CD, which I know sounds antiquated, but on every CD has a digital download link. So you get this great like physical thing with pictures and liner notes and whatnot. Um, and then you also get it for whatever smart device. Uh, a link to probably iTunes uh, will be right in the podcast description. Right here, guys. If you wanna, if you wanna get it, and I recommend it. I think it's, uh, it's Ricky. You're a great comic, uh, and also and a very smart comic. And I really enjoyed this interview. Um, and so I really, I can't wait to hear more from you. Thank you, sir. Like I said, we could have talked horror movies and comedy all uh, day. I, oh, um, especially because I, I just got shuttered, so I'm gonna watch a ton. Oh, uh, if you haven't watched the Phantasm series, watch that. I want to. And I. Phantasm 2, because it was released by Universal, they just started including it in some box sets, but I don't think it's on Tubi, and I don't know if it's on Shudder. But mm-hmm. I suggest, watch the first one. It may seem disjointed, which it was. Um, I suggest watch one, and then watch two. I think one is like Terminator, two is like Terminator 2. So it's bigger, mm-hmm. better. And if you don't like them, after two, don't watch anymore. But if you do like them, then watch three and stop. Don't watch four okay. and five. My goal this year before Halloween is Creepshow, Romero's Creepshow. So good. I just I love color and use of color. Uh, and they have a they have a document series about cursed films. Yes, where Poltergeist yeah, wanna... is heavily discussed. Oh, you 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 couldn't not. Um, and so I want to see that really badly. Yeah, I've, another thing, if you like use of color, uh, I suggest some of them are a little bit of slogs based on our attention spans nowadays with, with media and film. But if you have an appreciation for some slower movies with some artistry in different areas, if it's not acting mm-hmm. or script, uh, definitely gore they have, is check out some, they're on Amazon Prime, I think, some Italian horror movies. I of, do love, yes. Like, like um... Dario Argento, Mar- Mario Bava. Um, there, we just watched one from the late sixties called kill baby kill. And I purely watched it because it's Bill Hader's favorite horror movie. I've, I've been told about kill baby kill. And there's that one with the ballerina that I can't remember. It's been uh, music box, maybe deep red. I, I don't know if, Oh, a ballerina. Mm. Uh, it's been deli or something. Um, but it's like you're in a ballet house. Uh, Hmm. I'm, I'm um, familiar. I know uh, opera, Dario Argento's opera, which has one of the coolest like torture kill uh, yes. devices. Yes. Um, no, it was like Spindelli or something like that. And it's like, it's, it's a very here. I have the list right here of, uh, uh, I also want to watch the reboot of psycho. That's weird. I do want to see that. I watched it not too long ago because I do love psycho. And I think it is a, a pretty perfect horror movie. Um, I watched the re- that that shot for shot kind of thing, and yeah. it is just so interesting that it exists. That's why I want to see it. It's an um, oddity. I can't remember it, and I will have to send it to you. But Please, oh, Susperia, yeah. Susperia. Oh yeah, the ballet school. That's Argento. It's not part of his giallos because it's supernatural. Giallo just is like the crime, uh, the thrillers of like the mystery of who the killer is. Mm. Uh, and then Suspiria. Yeah, I like Suspiria for a lot of the colors and the camera work. Um, the reveal at the end, I think, comes too out of left field for me. 
um, to be supported and to think that the whole movie is brilliant. I heard the remake is not bad, that it's a little I've, more I've grounded. Told both are good. Like, I've told both of their own thing, which is impressive. Uh, the remake, I, though, is like three and a half hours long, though, so you have to, like, uh, yeah, you have to, like, give it give no. it some time. But, yeah. Um, but thank you, Ricky. I know you have to go, and I definitely don't want to keep you. No worries. Um, thank you, um, sir. No problem. And everyone else, everyone stay safe. Uh, we love you. Shaka Brown. Talk to you later, sir. I'm going to jump off because I... Hey, this is our first ever addendum. We uh, lost all our... Uh, some of you might have noticed that all our episodes went down and are slowly back up. David, why is that? Yeah, well, it's because our RSS feed went down. Uh, the issue has been resolved, though. We're sorry about anybody who was, you know, hoping to go back through and listen to some old episodes if those got deleted from either your downloads or your uh, pinned list, whatever your app that you're using might be using. Uh, we apologize for that, but the episodes are starting to get back up uh, slowly but surely, if not all the way, all the way ready to go. By the time this episode's up, every episode should be on. Fantastic. That has been that's my goal. Um, good news is we're also now on Anchor, which means that's a new place you can find us. Uh, there's a even a donation button, and everything is way more organized than it's ever been. Uh, so. It, it took me time to clean up house. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why that happened. And I feel like we needed to address that. And uh, that will never, hopefully, ever happen again. I really would put some more qualifiers in there. It might not happen again. <laughs> it might not happen again. Uh, I definitely don't want to have to rewrite every title and every every description for it. So yeah, that would suck if you had to like if you you know forgot to write those down in a physical copy and store them somewhere. They are now. <laughs> they weren't then. Uh, anyway, thanks for listening this week, you guys. Uh, hopefully, no more technical issues are going to delay our episodes getting out or our past episodes from being listened to or uh, corrupt files anymore. Oh, I'm yeah. fixing Let's, everything. Knock on some wood there.